Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a new comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator, and a critic. This is our very, very, very first episode, so you'll have to bear with us if we sound a little bit rough, but we're, you know, we're going to get there. Before we dive into what we're actually going to be talking about in this episode, it is probably worth introducing who we are so you do know who you're listening to. Uh, I'm Hassan Otsman al I do a YouTube series called Strip Panel Naked. I edit a magazine all about comics called Panel by Panel, and I also letter comic books as well. Uh, Aditya, who's my co-host, my beautiful, beautiful co-host, do you want to introduce who you are? Yeah, I'm Aditya Bidikar. I'm a letterer working on comics like Motocross, Parody Show and Versus. And I'm also a massive fan of comics. So every episode, we're just going to be talking about stuff that we have found interesting in the past week that is sort of related to comic books. Um, but to fit with our name of the podcast, the first episode, we've got two topics, one that I've supplied and one that Aditya supplied. So the one that he has supplied is to do with lettering and the art and craft of lettering, which very nicely fits with the first part of our podcast name. And I have brought a topic about the idea of graphic representation versus realistic representation in comic book art, which also very neatly fits into the second part of our name, which is the lines part. <laughs> so it all does work out quite well. Um, anyway, so we'll start with lettering, because I think we the reason we want to start with lettering, I think, is because it doesn't normally get like a lot of attention generally. Um, and, you know, when people are writing about comic books or talking about comic books, lettering, as we are both aware, is often left a little bit behind. But there is uh, an art to it, I would say, if it doesn't make me sound too, uh, you know, in my like egotistical. But there is a kind of it's not. I don't think it's just as simple as maybe some people think it is. I would argue. I mean, like for me, when I first start, like the thing that I try and look at is the is the art, and like I'm actually I you know I try and figure out a way of like matching the lettering to the art so it actually kind of all feels like one whole like what like what how do you start what do you do yeah i think uh, i try and match my lettering to the artwork because um, my goal is to pretend that the artist did it like uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think uh, to just get through every day of work as a letterer you have to develop a credo for yourself and my credo is that uh, when anybody opens a comic that i've lettered they need to feel that the artist might have done it yeah so that's that's incredibly important to me yeah you, I mean, because we talked about this before plenty of times where you have this, and I, I sort of, I do kind of agree with you as well. Like you have this theory where in a perfect world of like perfect comics, right? You wouldn't, you or I probably wouldn't have a job in terms of lettering. Exactly. It, I think, like, yeah, it'll be all be done by the artist, right? Absolutely. Yeah. In my perfect world, an artist would be hand lettering themselves and pretty much nobody would be involved. Like writers might be involved if they feel like it. But other than that, I don't think <laughs> making of a comic but uh, since the world doesn't work like that and everything needs to be done on time uh, I'm very happy for myself to be working digitally uh, because I think I like as a letterer I probably do a better job of digitally lettering a comic than the artist might um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's that's what I try and remember every time I'm sitting down to letter a comic that uh, it's not a perfect world but how can I make this book look as far as possible as if it came from that perfect world where the artists mm -hmm. let on themselves. Yeah, it's it's like, I, for me, it's part of the most fun of it is is like getting new artwork and kind of looking at it and being like, okay, so what do I have in my like library yeah. that I know I can get, that I can match this stuff up? And I, I like, I've had one recently, which was a, a short uh, that was done like all in watercolors. And it was oh, like, I think it's the... Yeah, it was like the first one I'd done in watercolors. And that was one especially where I was like, I kind of a little bit wish that the artist had just done it. Like, I, don't, I know, how do, you letter, how do you letter something that's like that? Or I'm, I'm working on a project right now that's uh, full of rough lines. You know, like it's, it's incredibly rough. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful looking book. But mm -hmm. I just wish that 
the uh, artists would have lettered it themselves by hand. I mean, uh, yeah. I'm going to do... I'm going to do like maybe 80% of the job that they might have if they had just done it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough because it's like, I, yeah, I, I fully agree with you. Like, I feel like there's instances where I've done pages and I've, I've been like, I just don't think I am as good as if they would have done it. But also, you know, it's, it's also like you bring something to it as in terms of, you know, flow and pace and all that kind of stuff that maybe they don't have that like kind of experience or whatever. No, absolutely. Uh, what I think uh, the one, one thing to remember is that's important is that uh, just because uh, it their lettering might give it a certain look uh, doesn't mean that they do it perfectly. And we kind of mm -hmm. um, so there's a there's a sort of like. Uh, it's a mix and match thing for me where mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to try and do certain things as if you would have done them. And there's the other bit that's my training over the last eight years of lettering that I'm going to get some beats just right in a way that the artist <laughs> might not be. Yeah, yeah. And that, like, because that is a big part of it is, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll work our way to that part of the process, but placement is obviously a huge, like a massive part of it that is probably... Um, you know, when people talk about lettering should be invisible, that that might be kind of a big part of what they mean in terms of like stuff like placement is not being in a way where it's, uh, you know, like proper, like really distracting to you or whatever. Before we jump that ahead that far, though, because that is that's a bit into the process. Like, so the first the first step is, you know, we're looking at fonts and things like that. Have you have you ever had a time because I always find this interesting. Have you ever had a time when you look at the artwork and just go like, I don't have anything to make this work? Uh, yes, quite a few times. <laughs> And I don't think I've felt that I've done that job perfectly uh, because mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think that feeling goes away. Like uh, there, are, there are certain jobs that will look like uh, there's something, this is something that you just can't do. Like <laughs> in those cases, you fall back on the basics where you know how to make this readable, if not perfect. So, so yeah, I, I have, I've had a few jobs where I don't think I'd still be happy to look at them. Uh, but, but my clients were okay with them, so I, I mean, you know, uh, because because, yeah. it, because for me, fundamentally, I spend around two days with a book, uh, mm -hmm. but the artist and the writer are going to spend a lot longer. So mm -hmm. it, I think it matters more that they are happy with it than me. How do you look at this uh, this part? Yeah, I've had I've had similar. I mean, the watercolor one was one which it took me a long time. Um, compared to how, like what, what it normally like you know what it, what it would normally take me to kind of like feel like I got something kind of close. Yep. Um, and actually, that wasn't a letter. That wasn't a specific lettering font. Um, you know, from like a normal kind of comic book lettering place. Rare, you know, rep, Wait, uh, was that was that the one that you did with JP and Claire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just read that today. That was great. I really liked what did I was going to ask you what the font was. <laughs> that was really good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's that's one where you know it took me a while, and, and I had to go at, like outside of the realms because I think that's the thing with I have found is sometimes with comic fonts is that they can be they are expecting sometimes a certain kind of artwork, yeah. and not everything that you're going to get, uh, especially kind of you know in short comics and slightly sort of maybe like slightly more experimental visually comics, uh, like experimentally looking comics, you're not necessarily going to have the perfect font from a normal kind of comic book font um, database. Yeah. So that was that was when I had to kind of go a little bit on the hunt for, um, and found you know I was looking for something that was a little bit scratchy, that kind of maybe you know it was a, it's a kind of like a horror fantasy comic, so it was a little bit scratchy, but also kind of still felt like it had like a handwritten quality to it, which is asking a lot, especially to also be readable, um, which is there's like there's three difficult things to balance. I mean, readability is the big one. That's why most comic fonts 
are like really good for comics is that they are very even though they're handwritten like they've got that handwritten style they're like super legible yeah but a lot of other fonts aren't necessarily the most legible they're a bit maybe like <laughs> a bit more designy yeah and that's always a hard balance as well it's like a designy versus legible is always tough no that's true and uh, i've also had times when uh, i i tend to give uh, my clients around four options at least uh, to mm-hmm. start with and there are times when they kind of ask me to do other stuff and um there are times when they are ha- really happy with a look and i am not that, <laughs> yeah that happens. yeah for sure yeah but yeah again, always yeah yeah but that's kind of like then coming back to the bit where you couldn't figure out a style for it uh, i just treated the same way that uh, again it's their comic so i might not be <laughs> absolutely happy with something but uh, i will still do the best uh, do my best in the rest of it yeah yeah so yeah and it's it's that's the other thing as well is like you know with mostly talking like creative pursuits where a lot of the work and a lot of your a lot of your indie stuff i'm presuming like a lot of your image books and stuff doesn't necessarily have is is it editor led or is it more writer led or artist led um okay that's the, that's a funny thing that i've never been able to talk to anybody to uh, anybody with but uh, i've always found that the artist is incredibly active in looking for the style while mm-hmm. after that the writer takes over pretty much yeah so yeah, because, yeah. Because, which makes sense because uh, the the style has to work with the artwork but after mm-hmm. that once that is done it's basically the writer's words that i'm fucking with so yeah 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 so it makes that, sense but i i kind of i noticed it over a period of years and yeah, yeah. that that yeah like so first issues are always uh, the discussion is always led by the artist and mm-hmm. after that it's always the writer who i talk to most of the time and what the th- and that's the interesting thing about it because I think that's where it is quite different than like a lot of other mediums where because as a letterer you're often more often than not you're kind of more like work for hire you know you just you're brought on with a, a rate a page rate to kind of do those pages and that's it yeah um, I mean I don't know I don't know how your like contracts have worked out differently but for the most part that's probably industry standard yeah. um, and so what you end up getting is that weird you've got someone who's really passionate about their work because a lot of the independent stuff as well is like it's something that's come from this artist or writer in some, you know, it's, it's their passion project almost. And so it's like, that's where it always differs for me from other client work I've done where you're working with like a company and, you know, a department of that company and they've got like a bunch of bosses and a bunch of different people they have got to sign it off. Whereas for comics on the indie side, especially it's like two people and those two people have put like a lot of energy and sweat into it. And so they are so, but it's, it's, it's awesome because they are so much more passionate I've found in, in like working with you to figure out the best way for the book to look than a lot of other, you know, like more like client heavy stuff that I've worked with. Absolutely. That's not, that's outside of comics as well. But I mean, when I say client heavy, I mean like the, my, like, like previous work I've done on other projects that aren't comic books. No, no, I get you. And uh, I completely agree. And it's funny because, uh, uh, People like that will also ask you to put yourself in there and see like mm-hmm. what, what everything that I said about, you know, they take the call. Um, that's that's basically how collaboration works, right? Like uh, there are there are a certain number of projects on which uh, I am on entirely on back end. But I still uh, basically feel that, you know, they're spending a lot more time on this. So they get to take the final call. But mm-hmm. uh, it's an inc- inc- incredibly collaborative thing that uh, like that's how collaboration works, right? Like, you know, you put something forward, somebody likes it, somebody doesn't like it. You kind of mm-hmm. figure out a middle ground. And yeah, and that passion always helps to figure stuff out because um, I don't know who I don't know who I heard talking about this, but somebody was talking about the writer and the artist collaborating. And how do you decide 
which way to go. And uh, they said that, uh, you know, you just go with the one who cares more. Uh, yeah, there will yeah, always yeah. be some things that one person will care about more than the other person. And there are things mm-hmm. that I will, there are sometimes things that I will draw a line in the sand. I'll be like, no, I really care about this. I think this will be perfect for our project. And I've actually mm-hmm. had artists and writers back down and say that, you know what, if you really care that much, clearly you're saying something that we are not and it's fine. You know, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah, but yeah. most of the time, it's like you know, uh, it's a matter of I feel something is a hundred percent, and they feel it's uh, they feel it's ninety five percent, and mm-hmm. in that case, I'm I'm okay to go with what they're saying. I'm like I, I'm not gonna fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's that, that's the nature of uh, you know, that's the nature of collaboration anyway, isn't it? Is there's there's always like a little bit of give and take. But I, but I've heard the same. I love that. That same story comes up a lot, I think, where people are like, we'll fight about this thing and I'll realize halfway through, I don't really care. And, and you know, like, and, and they really do care. So it's like, let's just go with them because like, I don't care enough to keep on to fight this battle. And I think that's often what it, you know, if people want to admit that's what it is or not, I think that's often what it comes down to is like, do I, do I really care enough to keep arguing this point or like, do you want to just take it? And that's, that's how it goes. But yeah. And, well, the next- and also, it's, it's also, also about feeling ownership, right? Like you... If you care that much and you still don't get your way, you don't feel that ownership about something. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. when you're doing comics, you're you're not really doing this for the money. You're mostly doing it because <laughs> you want to do something that you love and that you yeah. care about. So uh, I think that's the way to go, pretty much. Well, the next step for me, anyway, once so once I've got my font, is uh, I, I you know testing a couple of balloons out or testing a page out. Um, uh, I, I and don't then do get, that actually. I, I, I do it differently. Yeah. I think what, the, I think the font is a lot less important than the style that you go with, uh, because okay, okay. Uh, see again, uh, this is this is coming from my point of view that I want yeah, to, yeah. I want it to look like the artist did it. Uh, because, so what I do, the first thing I do is um, I look at their line, mm-hmm. the artist's line, and I try and create something that that's going to match that line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. I, yeah. Yeah. I absolutely do the same. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then I look at the font that will go with the line that I've created. Ah. Uh, okay. Okay. So basically, it's about. So I. Uh, so by the time I reach the font selection process, I'm not choosing between like thirty to forty fonts. I'm choosing between <laughs> something like five to ten fonts because I've already yeah. decided what the line is going to look like. Yeah. 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 And that so uh, it makes it easier. Uh, <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, no, I because I, I do the exact same thing, but I go font first. So I look at I look at like what the art looks like, and I look at fonts, and I go what fits that, and then I and then I get balloon, and I go balloon after that. Uh, that's funny, actually. Yeah, I, I I couldn't see that. I'm trying I'm trying to visualize it in my head, and I really <laughs> so I really line, couldn't. Line makes more sense. Yeah, no, I think it, like out loud, line makes more sense. But I think I found that I can qu- fairly easily kind of know like okay. Uh, I know I've got an idea already from like my font library of what works and then I can kind of narrow it down to a certain look and then I know if I need to go searching for a different font or whatever from that um but yeah I go I go font first and then once I've got my font then I then I figure out like a balloon look interesting but I yeah but I, I mean because I got this tip from you okay um which was about um you know I on my first kind of like bunch of comics I did the standard, typical, um, same same stroke thickness all the way around the balloon. Uh, yeah, you yeah, know, very yeah, standard digital kind of balloon look. Yeah. Um, and then I think I, I, we were on Skype or something, I think, for a bit, and you sort of were showing me a bunch of stuff that you'd done. Um, and you showed me a trick that I don't know if – I still don't know if, anyone, if people are allowed to know this or not. Um, but essentially – I, I see a lot of letters <laughs> using this, but it's still too precious a trick to just, like, give it out there, I think. 
I won't explain how the trick is done, but what it does is you and you'll notice it. I mean, it's it's through like almost all of your work. I think I think maybe all of your work. Yeah, pretty much. All. Um, I don't think I've done a standard digital line for at least three years. Yeah, so what you'll see if you look at uh, any of the Ditches balloons, or mine from more recently, is a line, uh, a balloon that looks a little bit more hand-drawn, should we say, right? That yeah. The stroke of the balloon is not, does not, is purposely not looking digital. And that's something that I've, I, I'm now like struggling to figure out a project where I would want to keep it digital looking. I, I just, I think, unless the artwork is like very, very uh, blocky or something. I, like, even yeah, now, I don't see, really know. Like, no. uh, even then, you're going to have artwork that's going to be hand-drawn and that's yeah, going to yeah. have a variable line weight. So there's... Mm -hmm. Like, I've seriously not found a single project in the last four years where <laughs> I had to use a, uh, a, a very standard digital-looking border. I have projects yeah. where I've used zero border and yeah. those are the yeah. ones where you... Uh, a lot of the time, those are the ones where you don't see a line at all. Mm -hmm. uh, like they're mm -hmm. all sort of like texture and you know uh, planes essentially playing mm -hmm. with each other so uh yeah but i don't think i don't think i've seen a single one that i would i thought would merit a absolute digital looking line <laughs> well this is the weird, this is the weird thing because what i've also started to do more and more and uh, like if you um have seen the shanghai red pages i can't remember if, if i've shown you any of the shanghai uh, yeah red i think pages, and, uh, yeah. dude i talked you through the style if i, if I remember correctly you did you did yeah. we talked about it so the shanghai <laughs> red stuff uh is and that's a thing that i've also tried to do on on almost i think most everything since then yeah. most everything is um have a slightly rougher hand-drawn balloon look as well like the actual shape oh of no the that is something that you taught me actually like that's that's a trick that you gave yes. me yes yes Oh, I forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I forgot that. And I use that in a book that's gonna come up soon, which I actually think it's the best thing I've done yet. Uh, in, in I'll take credit. I'll take credit. I, get, <laughs> I presume I've got credit. I've got credit on the book, I guess. Right? It's <laughs> a spiritual I, I advisor. Tell you which one it is, and you can guess. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it's. Well, I thought because what I think is funny is that we have we we are now spending time. I mean, we've you know, there's a little trick that I developed that we had a chat about, I think I developed it, I'll say I developed it, was a way of making it look hand-drawn with as little effort as possible. <laughs> exactly, I think, I think the difference between uh, me and a lot of other letterers, and I think including you, is that I first figure out how to do something that I wanted, and then I kind of forget the bit to make that makes it easier for me. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I've, had, yeah. I've had three reviews uh, uh, by other letterers who basically saw something I'd done and wondered that like they basically said that it looked hand done. I wonder how he did it. And the answer mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. it was that I actually drew all of those things by hand. <laughs> because, <laughs> I, because I generally don't go for the step that, that makes it easier. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I've, I've done some, I've done some projects that I've been, I did like that. Um, I did a, a, like a short graphic novel thing um, that I did. I think entirely hand drawn on you know like a Wacom uh, tablet. Yeah. Um, but I I, was, I did spend a lot of that time thinking like there's got to be an easier way of doing it. And I'm very much like apparently clearly like a lazy person who will find a shortcut to something. Um, and so that was I started trying to figure out a way like how do I get uh, you know how do I get to that stage? And I did I'd, I'd use that tip that uh, I, I guess we're not going to talk about trade secrets, but I, I, I did that um, technique to make like a different kind of balloon, and then realized if I kind of just dialed it down a little bit, it can it, I could still bring it to something that didn't look so extreme but still looked a bit handheld. Yeah. But I do think it's I do think it's interesting that we are basically using digital as a way to make it look handheld 
uh, hand hand done rather not handheld. Yeah. You know, we're, like we're spending this time trying to make it look not computerized, even though it is computerized, which is actually like the, almost the whole process anyway, isn't no, it? Absolutely. Artists it is exactly. Like, why does Kyle Webster have a career right now? Because everybody <laughs> wants to make this stuff look like it was hand done. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I had a, I had a very long discussion with the, about this with somebody where. Uh, I think I, I I was trying to figure out my philosophy of you know how I'm going to approach this because uh, I went freelance three years ago right and that was when I had to kind of decide how I was going to proceed with my career and mm-hmm. the first the decision I took was that I'm not trying to convince anybody that it's hand done. What <laughs> I'm trying to do is there is a certain quality that uh, hand drawn lines give you that you don't get mm-hmm. out of a digital line and I'm going to yeah. try and get those those qualities in. Uh, so I'm not going to try and make anybody, um, you know, believe that I'm doing all the letters by hand. Like I'm perfectly happy <laughs> with my fonts looking like their fonts. Like I'm not like, so mm-hmm. for example, Clem Robbins basically has a font that has something like 2,500 glyphs because he really doesn't want people to notice that he's working digitally. Yeah. I'm not trying to do that. But what I can do <laughs> is I can do that with the line. Like I can, I can make sure that the line looks as natural as I can make it look, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that gives that's because it gives a, gives it a certain quality. It's not because it looks either hand done or uh, digital. It's because it looks organic. You know, it, it keeps yeah. the artwork. There's a there's a texture to it, and yeah. I think that's what digital loses Actually, in almost yeah, every, in everything, right? Yeah, like I, I I use fifty words to say the one word texture. It's, it's all about <laughs> texture. Yeah, but it's it's te- and that's the same in you know. We talk about we've talked we've seen a lot of colorists I think talk about um, you know like the old like newsprint style comics from the the, the kind of like sixties that have been redone for digital yeah and they look re- they look nice and they yeah. look really clean but you lose the texture of of how they were done um, and if you look at you know um, X Men Grand Design like Ed Pisker's X Men Grand Design yeah he's he's really working to put a texture on that you know clean blank white piece of paper yeah um, but absolutely and uh, there's a funny thing that he's doing because he's also using the fact that it's digital to do a certain um, do a couple of things that you wouldn't be able to you know you wouldn't have been able to do back then which is for example he uses pure white in a couple of places mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Uh, he can do that because the white paper underneath is actually pure white uh, but yeah. when the, the rest of the texture that he's doing is all about yellowed paper and you wouldn't mm-hmm. get that pure white back in the 60s. You know, if yeah, you're reading yeah, yeah, a 60s yeah. comic, you wouldn't be able to see that pure white. But he's using the fact that, oh, I can do all of these things, but I can do a couple of other things that they wouldn't have been able to do. <laughs> it's, it, I think it, it is weird how much texture plays into it, especially in lettering, because it's, again, it's not like, I'm, I always try and look at it from like the perspective of someone who doesn't care about it, which I imagine is like 99% of the people. So if you've made it this far into the podcast, like well done. <laughs> but I was, it's it's weird how how uh, much is is trying like we're trying to put into something that is going going to be lost. But also, and this ties into that overall thing, which is probably the the only thing that most people have heard about lettering, which is that it should be invisible, right? That that sort of golden rule that neither of us particularly believe fully. Yeah. But the 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 idea that like it should blend in but which is kind of what we're trying to do right like the the aim is to make the lettering fit and match the work and to do that it needs to have a texture because unless you know unless it's like really bad like 90 cgi just printed out onto a page yeah. it's it's all going to have some kind of texture even if it is digital it's got texture exactly yep yep and you're trying to either match the texture or you're trying to add something that'll uh, mm-hmm. add to the overall feel of the comic 
like that's what you yeah, yeah, see yeah. when when i see when i say that uh, good lettering is invisible is bullshit i what i mean is that don't forget the bits where you can add stuff to it mm-hmm. you know that mm-hmm. that's all i'm trying to say like uh, all i'm trying to do is that don't believe in it so wholeheartedly i think that's probably like a that like good lettering is invisible is like a good conversation for a whole other podcast yeah sure because there is a lot there's, a, there's so much to talk about with that idea but <laughs> it's which which does well, i suppose does tie into kind of like the next step i guess the next step would we consider the next step to be like placement i suppose once we've got the look it's just figuring out like you know where to put the, the stuff on the page i guess so here's, here's the funny thing um so i uh, i was uh, i came to lettering as a storyteller because i, I came to lettering as a writer right mm-hmm. so placements was uh, were actually the f- most difficult thing for me to learn at the beginning uh, because i all i knew was uh, these are some words i'm going to put them on pictures and i'm going to tell <laughs> the story but what you then start to realize is that you have to put them in certain places that will increase the impact and that's that's mm-hmm. entire that's a visual thing like i think it probably comes much more naturally to you uh, coming from film than it does to me coming from prose Okay yeah I mean for, for it's it's hard because it's it's like the th- the thing that makes it I think particularly difficult is also it's it, you you have the place where really it should go right you have the bit in the panel where you look at it and go like in an ideal world that's where the balloon would go and I want this one to be like either there or maybe a little bit further away create a bit of distance or whatever yeah. but you're you're also you are also at the mercy of what you have been left with to work with true like um, how many words also, are there and like actually that, that's what it starts with like how many words are in the script Uh, yeah. because if i'm not going to have the space to put it somewhere i feel right i'm going to have to put it in a different place and still make it work <laughs> yeah yeah but for me for me there is that so like you know if it was in an ideal world what i do is like i what i try and do anyway you know the readers can be the judge of it but what i try and do is i look at the dialogue and i look and i look i look at the dialogue and i look at the back and forth and i go um like what what you know what is this doing is this like a quick conversation is this you know are two people are people thinking about what they're saying you know uh are they talking over it is it talking simultaneously whatever and i try and look at the space i've got available to me and go like how do i make that work because for me it's like it, in my head anyway this is how it works like if i put uh if you got two people ha- having a conversation in the same panel i could put a balloon maybe like above or just a little bit above to the left maybe and then you might read the text first then go to the face then you might read the next bit of text then go to the face or if i move it across further to the right you might read the person first then the text and i try and figure out like what makes more sense as from a reader as, as to where you would go yeah and then try and build around that yeah like that's that's basically what you're trying to do is again storytelling because uh, you're yeah. trying to see that oh is it is it more useful for the reader to see the balloon first or the expression first um you know yeah. stuff like that and um uh, that's always contingent on how the art has been created <laughs> like, i don't think it's, yeah yeah you that's 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 i think sadly the the last uh like part of the placements that i get to think about because most of the time it's about like okay where's the space where do we put this and then mm-hmm. like the effect is um like there are some places where you get the luxury of figuring out the effect uh, <laughs> yeah 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 it is it is very much i mean that is also the difference is you can really see where an artist is really like themselves have put thought into it absolutely because um, i was i was just about to say that this is not a problem that i ever have with uh, uh a people who do their own placements or b people who've been working uh, at a fairly high quality for a really long time because they take care mm-hmm. of this like they they realize all of these things before you yeah yeah I, like i like having worked 
let's say on like there's like a pitch recently I've been doing some lettering for and it's very like it's so obvious as soon as you as soon as you open the page file like the the, the art file of the page you can just you can tell immediately like this guy's really like put his work in for me yeah. like, to, to make my life a bit <laughs> easier um, and give me plenty of room to work with but obviously I'm as I'm sure as I'm sure you have I've opened up a pe- like a page of art and looked at it and then looked at the script and gone <laughs> like what are they like what, what what's going on here yeah I think like Josh Josh Hickson is, is was awesome for it in uh, in Shanghai Red um, you know I like every every page. Uh, I opened up for him, and some of that is quite a, like a word-heavy script as well. Certain pages are quite, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of text to get on that page, and even so, even with a high panel density, because Josh is one of those people that like adds panels to the page because he wants it to have a certain flow. Yeah. Um, and even when he's even when he's like extra compacting, <laughs> like you know, he's putting more panels into the page on a high density word, like a high word density page, he still leaves plenty of room, and like that is the. Um, I don't like. I don't know why it's not universal, but it's one of those things that is very quickly, very quickly obvious when someone hasn't done that. I think. I think even even a non like you know someone that isn't into lettering. I think even they could look at a comic book page and look at that page and go like, oh yeah, that letter that letter didn't get left a lot of room to work. With. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a matter of practice though. Like I don't. Uh, I think uh, I face this problem with a lot of first time artists who like either they come from a different uh, field or something where where. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't always realize that there are going to be words on the page. Like I, it's very easy <laughs> to say this, and it's very easy to laugh at this. But when you're, when imagine you in somebody's place where they're reading the script, they're reading the story, they're taking it in, and then they're doing the thumbnails. They're mm-hmm. already like, if if it's one of their first jobs, they're already doing a lot of storytelling calculations in their head, and mm-hmm. uh, thinking about how many words are going to be there is just one more thing for them to worry about. You know, it's like yeah. it's, it's like <laughs> when I started lettering and placements were the hard thing for me because like now now placements are so instinctive to me that I do almost never have to think about them. But when I started, mm-hmm. it was one more thing to think about constantly. You know, yeah, I was yeah. already worrying about, you know, getting my balloons looking right and, you know, nice shapes, etc., <laughs> etc. Et and now I have to worry about this as well. Uh, yeah, difficult. yeah, I can understand. I, I can understand how that works. And a lot of the time what I've seen is that I just have to point it out to somebody and then they are like, oh, fuck, that's obvious. Why did mm-hmm. I not think mm-hmm. about that before? There's so many things about lettering that I learned from my writers that I just went, oh, that's obvious. Why did I not think about that? Uh, so even, <laughs> even this one thing uh, that Nate Picos uh, put up, uh, I think a couple of years ago, uh, and I just looked at my work. So basically he said that uh, the place where the tail meets the balloon should generally be of a consistent size. You know, so yeah. basically the, the widest part of the tail should generally be of a consistent size. And that's something that I'd sort of instinctively done for the last three or four years, but I'd never just seen and written down like that. And I started like mm-hmm. leafing through all the books that I'd done recently. And I was like, oh, I'm doing it right here. I'm doing it wrong there. I always thought there yeah. was something wrong with that balloon, but I couldn't tell what, and now I can tell. You that so that's that's one thing I remember you telling me very early on. Yeah, uh, I think it's, that was one of your first bits of feedback for me was uh, my my like the width where my tails met the balloon was just all over the place. Yeah, yeah. and now it's one and now it's one of those things where I was like I was looking at it like oh yeah like I can't get over how ugly that looks <laughs> <laughs> when it's when it's not done properly. And it's also one of the things that I've seen like a whole bunch. I mean you know not that I'm like super experienced, but it's one of the things that I've seen a bunch in in indie work as well. And it's one of those things where. 
it's really cool that Nate from Blambot, uh, who does all the comic book fonts, has been putting up those like better letterer things because I don't know if a lot of those rules have been necessarily like written down before before he started to do them, or if they were kind of just like you know they're just like passed on when the next letterer kind of comes into the industry. No, I think I don't think it's like that. I think it's a, it's a matter of like this is this is uh, lettering is a thing where you learn on the job, so you're mm-hmm. constantly creating rules for yourself that you realize oh these are self evidently correct. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I have a checklist of about twenty five. Uh, points that I look at and out of which I think around 10 are customized. So like uh, Mm -hmm. 10 of those are things that only specific artists ask for. Uh, So like I have, but, but a lot of those have also taught me stuff, you know, that I then take, take to other, you know, other projects that I do. But Mm -hmm. I think these are like, I think I've seen a lot of hand letters from the 1970s and 80s, not do certain things that we now take as, (laughs) pretty much given as a rule but the thing is somebody mm. at some point of time thought about it and then other people started noticing it and that's how it became a rule right as i've seen the same thing you know i've seen i've, I've read like uh certain classic letters right where you know you should check out this guy's work because that like that defined lettering and i've looked at some of this stuff and i've gone like no, no, you wouldn't get away with that today i don't think <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> it's like I, the rules have slowly developed over time but also you think uh, like you should think about the fact that we are doing it digitally and it's much easier to uh tweak stuff till you get it right in a way that it so wasn't yeah. like i, I mean i'm hand lettering yeah. i'm hand lettering a graphic novel right now and mm-hmm. tell me about it it's so like the placements <laughs> are a nightmare man like i i just have to like because i have to figure out that i'm gonna have to fit this entire balloon here or I have to throw away the piece of paper and start again. And I'm not just <laughs> moving the whole text. I'm re-lettering it entirely. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And yep. So it's, 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 it's a pain. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking about, talking about uh, hand lettering. So this is one thing as well that we, we, and I think you do this. Maybe, are you the only one that, maybe the only one that does this? Um, or maybe no, no, not. I, I don't think know. But, does it as well. You're talking about hand drawing okay. SFX, right? I am, yep. yeah. I was gonna. I was working my. I was throwing a bit of fanfare, a bit of fanfare into the intro. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, saying, I threw water over your fanfare. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. But you, so you do. Uh, you, you actually hand draw in Photoshop, right? You hand draw your sound effects. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, that's not. An, that's not a secret, is it? No, that's, no, no. That's not. A secret. <laughs> and that's not you. I, I don't think I was the first person to do that. I, I saw Pat Brosso doing it, and I think, I think mm-hmm. Nate's done it a few times as well. Uh, I don't think yeah. he does it habitually, but Pat, I think does. Uh, I, I think he does it a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I started doing it uh, three years ago or something. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you do it? Do you do it for literally every book, every sound effect? No, no, no. I don't because there's a there's a lot of sound effects for which a font is more appropriate, especially the um, the ones that have edges. Like because I, I mostly do my sound effects using brushes. Uh, so mm-hmm. you don't really get edges on brushes, right? And they're kind of a pain mm-hmm. to get. So the the for the ones that I need edges, I kind of use a font. Uh, I'm actually working on one of my own fonts right now, so that I don't have to use that many fonts by other people to do that. Nice, yeah. like a sound effect, like a sound, sound effect, effect font. font. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. I did see. I think. I think there is a rise in it because I did see. Um, we were chatting about Clayton Cowles doing uh, the Reddit AMA. Yeah. And he mentioned in there that um, you know most of his sound effects are fonts, but he is he is toying around now with um, like brush based, like doing his own brush based sound effects. Yeah, I, I, I think... haven't tried it. I haven't tried it yet. Beyond, um, I think I did one or two 
in uh, The Girl in the Glim, which was like an indie book that I hand, uh, like I hand drew all the balloons and stuff for. I think I tried one in there. Yeah. So it's time, it's time consuming though. Um, I think it's time consuming at the beginning. But uh, see, uh, now what happens is that I'm sort of, uh, what I'm doing is I, uh, when I look at the panel, I have a certain thing in my head. And then mm-hmm. I have to go and draw it in Photoshop and then I bring it over. If I had yeah. to do a font, if I had to use a font, I would have to change the font enough to get the thing that was in my head. Instead, I can just draw <laughs> yeah. it right now. So yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. like yeah, once that, you do yeah. it enough, it gets much easier. It it, it becomes like I, I find it a pain to work with fonts now because uh, let's say let's say, <laughs> let's say I want um, let's say I'm doing a ping, okay, and the P and G are the same size, but the I is much longer. If I use a font, mm-hmm. uh, when I make the I bigger it gets bigger all around. It just be- doesn't just become longer, right? So mm-hmm. then I have to basically take a couple of nodes and I have to make the- make it thinner so that it, you know, the so that the line, like essentially the line, uh, sorry, the weight of, yeah. weight of the, you know, the contrast has, yeah, has yeah. to match the PNG, right? So I, it takes me more time to do that than it does to draw it out somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, you see, as you were saying that, I was you were describing like an experience I've had recently with sound, like with, with like font sound effects. I was just like, yeah, I, yeah, I relate to that. Yeah, I might, I might have to try. I might have to try it more. Then is it? Do you do custom? That's the question. Do you do custom brush? If, if this is again, if this is secret, tell me. But do you do custom brushes or do you, is it using like Kyle Webster's? Uh, yeah, I use Kyle Webster's brushes most of the time. Uh, there's a there's a couple of uh, brushes that Manga Studio has that uh, Photoshop doesn't have. And I really like mm-hmm. the effect those give me, so I use a couple of those, but nothing custom. Like I, I'm not an artist. Like I, I'm not, I'm not that well versed in how a line works. That I <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. can use other people's brushes. So we've gone, we've gone fonts, we've got balloons, we've done sound effects. Is there anything else? Do you do? Is that, is that it? That's lettering, right? Uh, more or less. Uh, it sounds so simple. <laughs> I know when I say it like that, I was like, it seems yeah, it seems very easy. <laughs> yeah. The big thing we haven't talked about is is probably uh, feedback, right? Which is, I think, um, potentially, depending on the book, one of the biggest parts of the process. Um, <laughs> like, have you have you had to enc- have you have you had to encounter anything where you've ended up, you know, doing substantial like work again on feedback? I have, but usually I get offered more money for it, uh, which I, <laughs> yeah. I, I I realize now that I'm very lucky on that. Uh, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I keep hearing about letters who, um, you know, do all those correction corrections and never get offered more money. Uh, but yeah. I think, uh, I think, uh, who was it that was talking to? Wait, uh, Steve Wands was talking to, I think, Sal Cipriano or Joe Caramagna? Uh, mm-hmm. One of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw Joe. I think it was I Joe. I think it was Joe, yeah. So he basically said that there are two types of corrections that a letterer gets. One is actually lettering corrections where uh, we've made a mistake or we've done something that the client doesn't really want. And the mm-hmm. other thing is writing corrections where it <laughs> be, um, the, the feedback phase is being used for a rewrite. And yeah, uh, yeah and you should definitely get paid more for the second one. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do have a revision rate now. Uh, because I had to develop one over the years, uh, <laughs> uh, because I kept being asked. Like uh, everybody who wanted that kind of change were, used to ask me, "Okay, how much money do you want for this?" And so yeah, I had to yeah, figure yeah. out like how much do I want to charge. Uh, but on the other hand, I would like to discourage that because um, it's usually taking up time that you could have budgeted for something else. You know mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. like as I, 
um, like as I work more and more, I kind of find that my time becomes more important to me. <laughs> and uh, like, uh, so there are, like now uh, I have a m- email that I send uh, all my new clients. And one of those things mm-hmm. is I just advise them. I don't, I don't, it's not a requirement. I advise them to do one more draft before sending the script to me. I just, yeah, just yeah, look yeah, at yeah. the artwork and do another draft because uh, because a lot of lot of people do it for sure, but there are some people who again have never thought of it, and they would appreciate getting to know about it. I would say. Well, that's I that's the thing I think because I do think it is important because I like I I equate it a lot to so like I because I, I have a film background so I relate it a lot to what we would do in the edit as well which is. And I've done this for most films I've worked on where you put the film together after you, you know, you shot it all and everything yeah. you put, and you put it together and you look at a scene and you watch the scene back and you kind of go like, I wish, I wish they'd done this instead. Yeah. And you can just go back. And so what we do is, you know, we just go and re-record a, a bit of dialogue and we just replace the dialogue in the scene. You know, if it's, if it's over the back of someone's right. head or whatever. Uh, it's you called ADR, yeah, ADR, and so it's it's super it's super easy, and it's all it's really useful, and it, you can save a scene that didn't necessarily work out the way you <laughs> yeah, thought it right. would when you see it edited. Yeah. And and I think anything I think anything visual like that, you know, I think it's really important to have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. But that is the problem is that most of the time, what people don't do is look at their finished artwork and then look at their script and go, okay, is that does that work against that? They wait until it's yeah, uh, finished. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. lucky that I haven't really had that yet, where it, there's been a major rewrite on anything that I've learned. Well, I've had that um, a few times, actually. Um, especially towards the beginning of my career, I did not realize that that is something I could say no to. So there was, <laughs> there was one project where uh, I think the writer essentially rewrote the script three times after my lettering, and yeah. I wow. just kept wow. I just kept doing it because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. <laughs> and the artist actually yeah, yeah. stepped in and said that uh, I think this is a bit much. We need to stop. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't think I've had anything that bad. You know, I've had, I've had like the corrections. The corrections are fine. I've not, I've not had a rewrite, but, but I do, but I do think it is one of those things. Like, and again, probably, people will probably not think about it until they actually then see the finished the page, like they were like fully lettered. Yeah. Um, but by that point, you know, people have put a, quite a bit of time into it to get to that stage. But that is probably a good point. That like before you, before you send your lettering script to someone, you you probably do want to have a second draft of it with the page in front of you and make sure that works. Absolutely. But because I I do it's super important. I do think it's super super important because until you see stuff visually, and I like the, the my favorite example is like Josh Hickson stuff with Shanghai Red because he does just do he does so much more work than is specifically required <laughs> of him in terms of like this is like this is what the script says, but he's gone. You know, I I think it's going to work much better this way, and usually what that involves is adding more panels. And that's one of the things I love talking to artists about in interviews is I think I can always tell when on a, on a comic book page, yeah, when the artist has led the story because they always just, you know, screw themselves over by adding like five more panels. Actually, this is, this is <laughs> something that we can do an entire episode about because I find that, uh, <laughs> that a comic that has been drawn and then written is a very different comic than a comic that has been written and then drawn. Very different. And there's, yeah, yeah, there's, a, there's, sure. a, like, there's a very distinct thing in artist-led books that a writer never thinks about like it's just uh, mm-hmm. you can like even if you're you yourself are, are an artist you'd probably just never be, be able to think about it and then write in a script you know yeah. it's it Absolutely. has to come from yeah, the yeah. artist there are some things that just it just works like that and i think comics are brilliant for that we're gonna we'll save that for a good we'll save that for a topic for another yeah, I think episode we do, that we a good some topic. homework for that um and so i think we're getting since we're gonna wrap up the lettering bit what I'll, what I'll ask you is, okay, so two questions is, one, who is your favorite letterer? And two, what is the best tip or best piece of advice 
you could give if someone is, you know, taking a dive into lettering? Okay, my favorite letterer. Um, do you? Can I guess this? Yeah, please. Uh, is he going? Are you going to say John Workman? No. You know? Okay, okay. No, my favorite letterer Sorry. is Gaspar right. Saladino. It's just uh, there's so much, there's so much to lettering that he's just given. Like, um, there's so many things that he either came up with or that he codified that mm-hmm. just everybody uses without thinking about it. And just like, it took me going back to his work to see that, oh, I can see that he was doing that way before anybody else. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think Workman has a brilliantly unique style, which um, like, I think you can recognize Workman in a way that you almost can't recognize anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like favorite has to be like favorite has to be the one and that I'm learning from the most. And uh, mm-hmm, every mm-hmm. Gasper book that I pick up, I learn something new. Well, I was gonna see. I was gonna say Workman, right? Because Workman was one of the first letterers where I really like noticed his work. Okay, uh, which <laughs> that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I mean, I mean. I mean that. I mean that in a good way. I mean that in yeah. a good way. Like I was looking for it, but it was the first that really stuck me as like. Um, standing out as being particularly interesting but then if you but if we're going to quantify it as like uh the, the letter who has taught you the most and i have to say you i don't really want to say that you're my favorite letter uh because that seems a bit like i'm sucking up to you but I, yeah, I, I've, I've, def- I've, easily, I've, I've easily learned the most from you but you're not my favorite letter unfortunately you're one of my- how dare you i've given you so much ass <laughs> you're one of my least favorite letterers and people uh no that's not true that's not true uh so what's have you got a good t- I've, my tip yeah. i think Okay, so if I was to give a tip to someone, this is really hard because there's loads of little. Wait, kind wait, wait. Of... tell me why you like Workman. Like you, you haven't explained that. Oh, not not for any reason beyond when I started reading Doom Patrol, yeah. uh, his lettering I felt like weirdly fit the art of Doom Patrol, and that it was kind of like wacky. Yeah. There was something about his his uh, hand, like his handwriting style, that I felt particularly like um, it was like both bouncy and strict at the same time. I don't know how better to describe that, but it felt like it felt like it was fun, but also kind of telling me off at the same time. <laughs> and I felt like that was a perfect like. I like that. Yeah, it was. It was like yeah, but it was fun at the same time. You know, it was like a, it was like you're, you're like a, a cool parent who has to have a go at you, and they kind of don't want to. <laughs> But they have to. And I felt like that was also like a really good explanation of how Doom Patrol felt to me when I was reading it. It was like, I was like kind of having fun with it, but at the same time, it was kind of like having a go at me. Um, so yeah, that, that would be, that's, that's why for work. But t- I mean, tip, tip, because the thing I was thinking about tips before, and tips is a really hard one because there's so many like kind of weird little, tiny little bits of tips um, for lettering. But I suppose if I go the boring route yeah. and the safe route, which is to say, I think it is important for any project is is that moment thing we talked about at the start is take a little bit of time to like figure out the not just like pick a font that looks like a comic book font but pick a font that you feel like fits with the style of the artwork. Hmm. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. It's a bit boring. Yeah. It's a bit boring. Um, but. Okay, I, then <laughs> then let me make my tip something from the other side. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, let me gather my thoughts because I had something in my head. that I <laughs> Right, okay. So this is a conversation that I had. Again, like, so I, I kind of went to some uh, soul searching when I started freelancing because um, it was quite a risky thing for me to do because I'm sitting in India and nobody, pretty much nobody knew me. Uh, I think I had mm-hmm. one project in hand and nothing else. So I had to figure out an approach and I had to figure out what I want to be as a letterer. And the fundamental thing I felt was that as a professional in an industry, you're trying to make life easier for other people. And <laughs> yeah. I think 
that's like I think because I'm I'm an incredibly persnickety person. I I will nitpick my own work no end. But there has to be a point when you have to stop because you cannot be difficult for other people. Like that, that's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's because uh, because I don't think people who come into the industry need to be taught how to be creative. I think they do need to be taught how to. Uh, either let's say collaborate or be professional because a lot of them are like awkward uh, people who read comics as, <laughs> as kids and they're kind of doing this. Um, right. I, my tip would be just always remember that you're trying to make life easier for other people. Uh, and if what you're doing doesn't do that, then you might want to rethink what you're doing. That's, that's probably a good tip just sort of like generally in life, <laughs> I think. No, in, in, li- in life, I'm a very obtuse and stubborn person. This is just perfect. <laughs> well, that, okay. So that wraps up that wraps up the letters part yeah. of, the, uh, of this podcast. Yes. But the lines part was the thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit about, which was, so I, um, if you, probably if you found this podcast, you probably know me or Ditcher in some way. Um, and if you know me, then you'll know that I do a magazine called Panel by Panel. And uh, as we're recording this, the next, the upcoming issue is uh, issue 11. It's about uh, a comic book called Cold War, which is drawn, um, illustrated by Hayden Sherman. And Hayden's work is, is if you haven't seen it, um, I'll just Google, I guess, and have a look. But he did a, a series. The first time I saw his work was in a, a series uh, for Image called The Few. Um, and I think it was his first comic, uh, I think. And the thing that struck me from it was the really, really, really almost like Frank Miller-esque way that he used lines, which was like, it felt like he was in a rush to do the Mm -hmm. page, but also that there was a certain like very clear control to everything. So it was, it was like he was in a rush, but also he just, he had loads of time. So, cause like each, each line feels deliberate, but also like rushed. I don't know. I really do not know a better way to describe it. It's like, it doesn't look as clean and finished as, uh, let's say like, you know, like a modern, like realistic sort of looking superhero book. Um, but it looks, it looks very purposeful in its approach in the same way. And he also, he does cold war as well. And as I've been going through cold war for, um, to talk about it in in the magazine, you can see the same thing in his work. It looks looks almost like you took a John Paul Leon panel and then applied the distress effect to it or something. (laughs) The use of imagery, but the lines are all a little more rough and like kind of, uh, very deliberate, but still not very clean. Yeah, and, and and also on the back of that, that bleeds into almost everything he does, like including background and things like that. There is, you know, there is a clear like understanding of shape and form, but it's there's also that kind of like slight roughness to it. Um, and so that was the main that was the, like the main part of the topic, I suppose, is the idea of what we would see in a more superhero, like a more modern superhero book, which often. Um, you know, like a like a like a hitch kind of look, that kind of like sort of realistic rendering. Um, it's, it's got like a lot of lines. It's trying to be not quite photorealistic, but sort of realistic. And compared to something more like this or like Frank Miller, where it's a bit, it feels a bit more like graphic yeah, like has, based. If that here's makes a question sense. for you, actually, uh, why do you think superhero style the, the superhero style developed that way? Because um, when it started, it was a lot simpler. A lot more yeah, symbolic. Yeah, like yeah, why? Yeah. Why do you think? Why do you think superheroes work well in this particular photorealistic style in the first place? Can I? I'm going to steal something that I saw. Um, I think it was Kurt Busiek talking about, which I think I hadn't thought about this before, but I think is a fairly interesting yes. point. Um, and he was talking about inking 
back in the day, you know, when uh, there was where Incas were were a more prominent sort of um, industry, and nowadays where you what you find is a lot of people inking yeah. their own work, um, especially from like the kind of newer artists. And he was saying, you know, what people learned from back in the day was they learned from other pencilers. So they looked at other people's pencils and they saw that they were very rough and that a lot of work got done on the inking or, you know, they used to call it like finishing yeah. and stuff. Um, whereas people coming up now, they learned from finished comic books. So they learned from the finished artwork. And so what you found was people penciling in a way that was really inking. That um, makes a lot of sense. Actually. And I think when you... Yeah, and I think when you when you do that, then you start to push it a little bit more because if you're if you're thinking like I will draw what the finished like you know really really tight pencils, um, and I will draw what that finished page looks like, um, then you can then it's just easy I think from that base to start adding more and more yeah. detail to it. But I think it feels like the rise came in the early two thousand. I want I really want to say like early two thousands with people like uh, was it Brian Hitch wasn't it who did yeah. like Ultimates? And I think like for me that was when I first started to notice it a bit more um, and leaning into that idea of like slightly more realistic and i think the reason is because i think we i don't know you, you can tell me if this is this a stupid point but i think we look at more realistic photorealistic art and we look at that and think that 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 is better because i think that we often look at uh, art as a depiction of reality right and so the more realistic it tends to be that we would naturally just go that is better yeah. art would like does that no, do you I think, think so no? i think it's also um I, I think it's also to do with, uh, I, I had this discussion with an artist friend of mine who started out rendering a lot and then slowly started stripping those things away from his artwork. And I asked him, like, what mm -hmm. made you do the rendering in the first place? And his answer was that it's easier to get right than it is to get anatomy yeah. <laughs> and yeah. all of those other things right. So when somebody is mm -hmm. trying to learn how to draw uh, towards the beginning, it's easier to feel a sense of achievement through the rendering than it is through the anatomy because that's a lot harder. Yeah. So what mm -hmm. you get is that somebody who learned the rendering first and then they learned the anatomy, etc. And for a long time, they're going to put those two things together and that's going to be their artwork. So uh, that's why yeah. uh, it, that was sort of like my theory based on all of those things because you do see a lot of artists start with... Um, essentially a rendered version of somebody else's style and then as they discover their style they strip <laughs> yeah. away the rendering well because well, one of the things we were going to talk about right was yeah. frank miller in this because i think that's like a perfect example and he did that right the early because i've got i have a bunch of um his like really early marvel stuff like i think i have um like one of his early marvel spider-man stories oh, wow. okay. and his yeah his and his artwork is very very much more in the realm of what you would expect from like a traditional superhero book. You know, I mean, this was this was when it was 70s or 80s or whatever. Yeah, I um, think back then he was more influenced by uh, Neil Adams and John Romita yeah. Sr., right? Yeah, yeah. And But then what you develop is, and you're right, I think, you know, you, you naturally will draw what you expect, like realism, and then you develop your style after that. And that's clearly what we saw with Frank Miller. We saw him figure out this slightly less refined it's it's weird to say less refined because his style is super refined it just maybe looks less refined when you see it on the page but he developed into this kind of you know his big blocky characters yeah. and his uh very but, but i think it is very very much like what i see is like a is, is a representation of something and i think that's what i was kind of wanting to talk a little bit about with um hayden's work is when you look at his work on cold war uh is the is the one that i've been looking at yeah. as a big one a lot of his backgrounds uh, and a lot of his world drawing is not so much specifics as it is a generalization of something. And I think that's, in art, I think that can be really, really, really 
powerful and really, really useful to not necessarily go. It's not this is not this specific location, but this is the idea of a of a mega like a megatropolis in the absolutely. Future I'm looking at uh, Cold War right now, and all the location mm-hmm. is not specific at all. It's it's basically like I'm just looking at the artwork, and uh, yeah, all the artwork is either just figures or figures against background that could almost be anywhere. And I think he's too smart to not be doing this on purpose. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even in The Few, which was the one that I read, you know, a lot of that takes place uh, in like around like a, a forest and then like a trailer parky kind of area. And when you when you read those locations, you do not... It's really weird to say because it almost sounds like uh, an insult in a sense to go to go like he has not defined where that location is. But I think that is a very purposeful strength of his artwork is that he's working to not give you a specific, but to give you a almost like a blueprint that you can project or, you know, like a blank canvas that you can project your own version yeah. of it onto. Um, I think it's like, um, you know, when you read like a novel and it gives you a description of a character. Your your just your visualization of that character is, is going to be different than mine, even though we're working with Absolutely. the same words, because we're going to bring a little bit of our own, you know, our own personality to it, our own thing to it. And I love that that I I get the sense with him, and also with like Frank Miller. If you look at his, you know, his Sin City work is very much like that, where it's feeling like it sort of it's asking you to bring something to the work rather than just going, I am showing you this very specific thing. And I have found myself kind of like gravitating a little bit more towards the artwork that is a little bit more like that rather than more realistic in its rendering as time goes on as I, as I get older <laughs> I don't know I found like I, my, my appeal to that kind of work has increased a little bit more than it has towards the sort of really heavily rendered I, I think that's a factor of uh, uh, as your taste gets refined it also gets more hardcore so you, you're no longer satisfied <laughs> with the mainstream yep. version of something so you're gonna go from let's say rock mm-hmm. and roll to blues to uh, you know what? I was more hardcore than blues. I don't know, uh, but I, I think it's, it's part, part, partly that. Like um, you, it's it's very very easy to get pleased with somebody like Jim Lee or um, you know um, or or who else like Alex Ross or somebody like because it's very yeah. invitingly beautiful. You know, but when you start appreciating <laughs> something that yeah. is not yeah. necessarily as inviting, that makes you work a little for it. Um, and also, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't know how much uh, Frank Miller or Hayden follow this, but you know, you remember the old Scott McCloud thing of um, you know figures being less rendered uh, for ease yep. ease in identification. Uh, yes, I yeah, think there's yeah. a part part of that here, but but also you tend to find that these people are sort of uh, doing something that looks notionally ugly. Uh, like I mean, it's it's not actually ugly. <laughs> like um, you give this to a lay person who doesn't read that many comics, they would go, "Oh, this is so rough and ugly." I think they're sort of like playing with the alienation and identification at the same time. They're they're sort of um, rather than being invitingly precise, they're kind to trying to kind of um, abstract into different you know directions. Uh, I don't I don't know if I'm being very clear on this, but. Uh, uh, basically, I feel that what they're trying to do is they're, try, they're simultaneously letting you into the story much more easily, but also stylistically sort of alienating you a little. Yeah, so, like I think with Frank Miller, there is there is a sort of point of that you wouldn't necessarily straight up call his artwork uh, beautiful. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I go so far as to say ugly necessarily, but there is there is certainly an element of his work that is not um, straightforward, like. He is not working to make his artwork pretty so that people look at it and go, this looks nice. 
Yeah. But I, I think th- that's design as well, though, partly. Absolutely, because I think there are, there are things he's doing with his composition that he couldn't do with a more um, essentially like classically pretty kind of artwork. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think I think it's pretty deliberately uh, there's a there's a sort of geometry to his panels that he kind of can create because he doesn't want his characters to look necessarily pretty. Yeah, and like we're talking about that idea of um, not realistic, and I think the idea of it, if it's, I think when it becomes too realistic, and I think maybe this is my issue with that, like really overly rendered stuff, like. You know, when you look at some artwork and you're like, that is just, there's just so many lines on this thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I think my problem with that is, or my issue with it as a, as a reader becomes like, I can kind of sometimes like sense it, like working hard. And I think I, I've noticed this. I think there's a, there is a particular kind of school of artist uh, that has this kind of thing where I can really feel like this, they're really working hard to make sure it looks in a way where I read it and go, wow, like this is amazing. And I, I feel like it often works in the face of like the overall storytelling because it feels to me a little bit, you know, when you, like, when you read a novel and you can see the prose is like, the prose is really working hard to like, <laughs> to, like dazzle you. Yeah. Uh, but so much so that you're like, I'm really hyper aware of this prose now. And yeah. I think sometimes I have that with like overly rendered comic book art. I, I agree because uh, uh, I think storytelling like where, uh, that you brought in is very important here because um, there are artists that I love who do like lines over lines over lines like uh, Gary Gianni or Bernie Wrightson. But mm-hmm. you will notice that they tend to do those in single illustrations rather than in comics. Uh, right. Yeah. Because on a single illustration, you're supposed to linger. You're supposed to sort of, um, it, it's not just a moment in time. It's, it's, it's trying to capture something bigger. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But in a comic, it can be alienating, I would say. Like, um, I think uh, it's very useful to look at manga for this, where um, somebody like Naoki Urasawa will basically use a lot fewer lines for panels which you're supposed to pretty much run through. And yeah. he'll use a lot more lines and a lot more rendering for panels that you're uh, supposed to linger on. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he's basically using the lines to uh, support the storytelling, not the other way around. Um, actually, not That's, the other I way think... around makes no sense, but like um, the the, <laughs> uh, the the lines are subservient to the storytelling, basically. I think you see it a lot more in um, manga. I think ma- like manga is a really good example of like because what you see in manga a lot is an artist within the same book, even often in the same page, will like slightly change his style. Yeah. I mean, sometimes not even slightly. Like sometimes really dramatically change their style, but like. I, like, I've, I've talked about Junji Ito's I've talked about Junji Ito's use before of going from um, you know like really kind of like slightly more simplistic very manga-esque like a very traditional manga-esque look to those panels uh, where he's you know he's really going crazy on the detail uh, and it's like really leaning into like a facial expression and like really rendering that facial ex- facial expression I think that's something we get less so in sort of like more like US comics uh, I think there's a there's a factor of uh, uh, writing and art being different for uh, Western comics as opposed mm-hmm. to for manga. It's essentially manga is writing through art, right? It's cartooning. Yeah. So I yeah, think yeah. they're they're just a lot more aware of that. And for them, it's not that the artwork is uh, subservient to the writing, but that um, it's all storytelling, and they are very aware that. Um, like everything is uh, the effect, the overall effect is the important thing. And uh, essentially everything is directed towards that. And, you know, when you're essentially writing through art, then you are willing to pull back on your art a little if 
mm-hmm. um, you know the art needs to do something else uh, in a way that i think uh, in western comics because the art and the writing tend to be a separate process there's a i think we have an idea of consistency that manga doesn't necessarily doesn't uh and i don't i don't think it's superior or inferior it's just a difference i would say yeah i think it kind of relates to that topic we said we'd say for another episode as well where i think you can you see a lot more uh, of kind oh, yeah. of almost like yeah like playfulness a little bit more when the artist is probably writing it themselves or driving the story or narrative themselves i think if you look at daniel warren johnson's work in extremity or something like that yeah. um that's a guy who in his commissions is nothing but lines like <laughs> there is detail and rendering absolutely everywhere but in his storytelling he kind of knows when to use that and when not to use that and i think that's i, I suppose that's probably where we're trying to get to in terms of, like the graphic versus the realism because i think if you look at alex ross who we could probably argue is like the ultimate in terms of comic book storytelling realism um like down even down to the point of like his spider-man looking like he's actually just a dude in his pajamas which i i do which i do love, I love in marvels it. yeah but there is, I, I put a call out on Twitter recently for, um, you know, like controversial comics opinions. And one that came up a couple of times was, was people saying they did not, they really did not like Alex Ross's in comic book storytelling. Like they loved his covers. They loved his, his like his, uh, you know, his I'm actually on that contingent. Uh, yeah. I really like his storytelling in Marvels because uh, it's a little more abstracted. It's not nearly as uh, absolutely well rendered as his work in Kingdom Come. Yeah. And I don't like Kingdom Come. That was, yeah, that came up a few times. Was the his work in Kingdom Come, and I think I think that's an example of where that book absolutely gets bogged down in the utter realism or the you know that utter like realistic approach of Alex Ross. I think that's one where it's almost hard to see past. Yeah, it's the, almost the rendering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we, I, we mean that in the. I, you mean that in like the art way, as opposed to like, wow, this book is really putting me to sleep. Yeah, no, but, like, I, I enjoy the it's, book. It's, it's, it's not effort. a bad book at all, but uh, it's not like I really enjoy Marvels in a way that I don't necessarily enjoy uh, Kingdom Come. I think it partly mm-hmm. has to do with writing. Like, I, I, I slightly prefer Kurt Busiek's style of. Um, there's there's a particular earnest sincerity to his work that I really enjoy. So mm-hmm. I like the writing in Marvels quite a lot, but I think. Uh, there's a lot of expressiveness to the artwork in Marvels that gets a bit lost in Kingdom Come because uh, everybody looks like they've been photographed in the middle of a pose uh, <laughs> rather than, you know, yeah. they don't look too I mean, dynamic. That, that is what has happened, essentially. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. And because you wanted to, we, we talked, to, we, you know, we did a little pre-chat before recording this and you mentioned uh, in Xerxes, Zer- is that how you pronounce it? Xerxes, yeah. Well, it, a, big thing, a big thing with that is uh, it's, a, it's not the same colorist, right? And one thing that has come up, and this is, I, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you've seen this story before of the chap who, uh, you know, talked about how Frank Miller should be colored nowadays and that very, like, very, like, obviously graphic approach. Um, and it is, it is my last main point, I think, about graphic storytelling is I think I, what I, my, my sort of approach to it is I think graphic storytelling is much, much, much harder to color in a way that appeals uh, that makes the art appealing. I think if you look at Cold War and you look at Hayden Sherman's work, he's coloring it himself. Yeah. And he goes for that really heavy, like Jim Steranko, like there's big pinks, there's big oranges, like big, it's almost like big highlighter kind of neon colors. Yeah. Stuff that I, you, I would, ne- you would never color. Designed, right? Yeah. And you would never color, you know, you would never color like Jim Lee like that, for example. Yeah. Um, Cause it just, it just wouldn't work. And 
uh, Frank Miller, I am fully on the side of that Frank Miller requires a certain type of coloring for it to, for his work to really shine in the way it, it should. And I think that the realistic, not necessarily that uh, Sinclair is going for that realistic style, but it, but it, it feels a lot more like it's verging towards a general comic book coloring style. Yeah, I think it's it's about it's about the rendering because uh, Alex Sinclair is trying to render light and planes in a certain way, which I personally believe that they don't suit Frank Miller's work uh, because, uh, like, you look at the cover of Xerxes. There's mm-hmm. there's there's literally a shadow over Xerxes. I think that's supposed to be Xerxes. Um, yeah, his eyes and. I don't think the black eyebrows, that, uh, sorry, the black eyelashes that Frank Miller has drawn are capable of throwing those shadows, because those mm-hmm, eyelashes, mm-hmm. those eyelashes are not that realistic. You know, mm-hmm. they they don't really work like that. Like you look, it uh, the the cover doesn't give you a plane, as in you know the the way the nose is facing. It's not anatomically correct, and <laughs> right, trying yeah. to color it as if uh, this is a realistic three D rendition is mm-hmm. not personally the right way to go but i'm guessing frank miller himself seems to like this yeah because um, it's it, it crops up a lot right and in, yeah. in, in his more recent work it's interesting but it's it's you're right and like i think to to throw back to hayden right you know in cold war he's got a very specific um this big big brash bold colors in the few what he used was almost, almost monochrome was like kind of like uh, very sickly almost like a I mean, almost black and white, like a gray, almost like gray washes, but they were like a yellowy kind of uh, greeny wash with yeah. kind of stark, a lot of stark red because there's a lot of blood in that series. Yeah. Um, and so he's aware that like his compositions are, I think this is the thing, his compositions are involving that kind of like that interesting use of color to match his his graphic depictions of stuff. And that's the that's weird thing with Frank Miller. Like he does seem to want to lean away from that really kind of... Uh, kind of in-your-face graphic approach to slightly more traditional comic book coloring, but I'm, yeah, yeah but with I don't you understand why. Cap, it just doesn't his, work. Yeah, because his artwork is, uh, like, as I, as, as I, like, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Xerxes. I literally haven't read it because I literally <laughs> just look at the pictures because um, I'm not necessarily uh, a fan of Frank Miller's more lurid sensibilities in terms of his storytelling. Uh, uh-huh. For example, uh, I, I'm, I did not enjoy 300 as a story. Mm-hmm. I did, however, enjoy it as a collection of images drawn by Frank Miller. Because <laughs> yep. I think he's like he's figured out mark making um, in his particular style to a certain extent that I don't think... Um, I think it's just, it's just beautiful to look at that sort of extremity of artwork. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know? And... I don't think the coloring services that extremity. Like the mm-hmm. coloring tries and pulls it back uh, right, into the yeah, realms yeah, of yeah. standard comics, which uh, there are so many beautiful images that are sort of just, uh, I just want to see them in black and white rather than in color. There are these mm-hmm. there are these glows that are being given over flat surfaces, which I just, they, like that, they don't feel like they fit the universe in which the artwork exists. Yeah. Uh, I think you know, you've just got to look. I think you've just got to look at Sin City, right? To to see how strong his his uh, like actual lines are. Yeah. Like his his storytelling is so strong, and his line work is so so strong. And I think if you were to take uh, this story, this like Xerxes, and you dropped all the color out from it, and you just saw black and white, I mean, I'd be interested to see how much he's kind of leaning on the colorist when he's doing his work now. But I think what you would get is a, a, a work, a book that just works as effortlessly as it does in color in black and white. And 
on that on the back of that kind of graphic uh, approach is I think if you're gonna if you're gonna be exaggerated in this kind of Frank Miller way, as you said, kind of ugly, right? If you're gonna be exaggerated in that way, I, I said notionally ugly. Okay, not, notionally ugly. I think if you're gonna exaggerate it in that way, then you deserve you kind of owe it to yourself or the colorist owes it to you to work in that same field to really and obviously we're making it clear that this is we're not saying like Sinclair has done a bad job on this because I I definitely think Frank Miller wants his work to look like this yeah and there are, um, there are some images that are definitely you know added to by Sinclair like uh, if you look at uh, the first page itself uh, for the first the and, very first page yeah, the first panel the first and second pages like uh, the first panel on the first page and the first panel on the second page are yeah. genuinely incredible like yeah, yeah, yeah. including the colors but then you look at the second panel on the first page <laughs> with all those glows and I just wonder what that those glows are doing that wouldn't have been done just by the color itself you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And weirdly, as a way to wrap this up, because it actually does all tie back into how we first started this episode, talking about lettering. Because the first thing we talked about was we, sp- we were spending time trying to figure out a, a font and a balloon that matches the line work. <laughs> and that's also straight down to the coloring, right? It's like you finding a, a coloring approach that really matches the, the lines that are being used by the artist. No, absolutely. And uh, when I was talking about, when we were talking about placements, I did remember that, you know, color plays a part in those as well. Like you, you cannot really have um, a well-composed comic page without the colors or the lettering. Like they all tie into the composition. Like uh, for example, Anand, uh, the artist who, whom I'm lettering on Graffiti's wall, um, he's taught me a lot about colors. Like he, he literally, like when he's composing a page, he sort of has a color uh, space in mind and he'll basically place elements such that they will all be colored similarly and mm-hmm. they will lead the eye through the page um, in a way that uh, cannot be done just by the... Like, essentially, he's thinking about the storytelling uh, in the black and white, then in the colors, and then in the letters. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. they're all slightly different storytelling, but they all work together, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a beautiful way to wrap it up. That is, because that, that is essentially that's just comics, right? Yeah. It's, everything is a slightly different bit of the process. But they're all trying to work towards has, the same goal. Just <laughs> solved comics. It's all about this. This is brilliant. So I should say that if you do want to chat to us about this, uh, send us a message. We'll tell you how in a second how to get in touch with us, and we'll have a chat about it on the next episode as well, uh, and talk through some of your feedback and thoughts. Because we do want it to be a bit inclusive as well for everyone listening. We want you to get involved in the conversations that we're having. So thanks for checking out this week's Letters and Lines with Aditya and me. You can keep up to date with me on Twitter at Aditya B, and you can visit my website at adityab.net. It's still under construction, but it's going to be done soon. And I'm on Twitter at Hassan OE. Plus, you can check out Strip Panel Naked on YouTube and my magazine at panelxpanel.com. Thanks for listening.